Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now radio check. Now radio check for order. <laughs> and power is a go. 50,000 watts. Oh, that sound is beautiful. This is Bradley J on Air Control. We're listening at dawn. And our radios are tuned to 10.30. In our cars, it's locked on WBZ. Oh, who are you Affirmative, I read you. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. WBZ, you are Jay talking, and we have Richard Pickering with us. He's back <laughs> from Plymouth Plantation, and we're going to talk about lots of stuff they have going on down there. By the way, it's now time to sign up for your Thanksgiving. But the, I guess the centerpiece of what we're doing tonight is going to be the Mayflower 2. And what we'll do is talk about, get an overview of what Mayflower 2, what it is and what's going on. Go back and get some real deep history on it, and then focus again on various events in more detail that are <laughs> that are going to be coming up. So, Richard, to tell the folks about Mayflower too, because there's some people that just don't know. We do get out to the entire country, and some folks might not know what the heck it is. We're coming on to the end of a multi-year restoration of the ship. It's been at Mystic Seaport Museum for the last three years. She goes into the water after having been in dry dock for that long on September 7th in preparation for her to come home to Massachusetts next year. And tell folks about what Mayflower 2 is. Um, Mayflower 2 has an amazing story that when our museum, Plymouth Plantation, was founded in the 40s, one of the dreams of Harry Hornblower, our founder, was that there would be a Mayflower as part of the museum's collection. He hired a naval architect by the name of William Avery Baker, uh, who was at General Dynamics, he was at uh, MIT, and Mr. Baker spent years researching what merchant vessels of the Elizabethan period were like and creating plans for Plymouth Plantation to build a second Mayflower. At the same time, there was an Englishman who had been the public relations officer for uh, Montgomery during the North Africa campaign. And when he was returning to England, he wanted something to read while he was drinking whiskey. There was nothing in the ship library except William Bradford's of Plymouth Plantation. So he thought, okay, I've got something to read. Yeah, here I go. And he became fascinated by the Mayflower. And he got it into his head that wouldn't it be a wonderful thing for Great Britain to build a second Mayflower and give it to the United States for the alliance during the Second World War. So on one side of the pond, you had a man who wanted to build a Mayflower for his museum. On the other side of the pond, you had this man 
wanting to give an international gift. So they were unrelated, kind unrelated, of concurrent and unrelated. Know, didn't know of each other. Um, somehow Warwick Charlton heard of what Plymouth Plantation was intending. He called the museum, and the very first museum employee, Arthur Pyle, who was everything, he uh, was chief operating officer, director of education, everything. He picks up the phone and he hears an English voice saying, uh, we're going to be building a second Mayflower, and would you like it? Really? Is <laughs> and, that exactly and, how he put it? And Mr. Uh, Mr. Pyle said, yes. yes. And so <laughs> that started the conversation. And the partnership was that Plymouth Plantation Incorporated would provide all of Mr. Baker's research to the English makers. The ship was made at the Upham Shipyard in Brixham, England. And it was a significant project in that it was one of the last great ships of the age of sail. And so all of these elderly shipwrights came out of retirement to work on it and then train a generation of young men in how to do the, the craftsmanship of the, the older times. Wouldn't there be just plans for the Mayflower laying around? No, we have no idea somewhere what she or looked like. It. The only physical description that we have of Mayflower was from the bill of sale in 1624 when she was sold for scrap. And so the the receipt or the um, described her and gave her her basic uh, measurements, but that was it. So Mr. Baker used libraries in this country, in England, in Europe, looking for the very best evidence that he could find of what that ship might possibly look like. And the reason that we chose to restore Mayflower, because she is 60 years old, instead of building another Mayflower, is that no other reproduction ship now legally can be built with the accuracy of Mayflower too because of safety reasons. So now the Coast Guard has grandfathered, uh -oh. or if a ship is a she, grandmothered yep. the ship for its historical significance. And so this restoration of the ship is providing the best laboratory for discovering what sailing was like in the 17th century. So the rule is that if a new, you build a new one, it has to be up to code. And yes. bringing it up to code would mean it's not authentic. Yes. And it, you get around that by refinishing re it. Yes. And wow. so the, one of the exciting things is uh, Whit Perry, who is our uh, director for maritime artisans and maritime programming at the museum, Whit really wants to sail that ship regularly when she's back oh, good. in Plymouth. I mean, it, it is a ship. You might as well. Exactly. That it should not be just at a pier all the time, but it can be this school for teaching young sailors how you work a square-rigged ship. Yeah. And the ballast, when Mayflower came over in 1957, the ballast were um, railroad tracks. Because Britain was still on rations, Britain was still recovering from the war, and so it wasn't properly ballasted as far as physics, mm -hmm. and that has all been taken care of. One of the first projects of the restoration was to get all of that old ballast out there, which uh, was rusty, clean the interior, 
and then now there is proper lead, non-ferrous ballast going back into the ship, and it's beautifully balanced. So for the first time, when she starts sailing again, it's going to sail better. It will sail better and more 17th century. So ballast, they just throw that down in the hole. It's it's loose, or is it built in? It's um, tiered. It's stacked. The the ballast is someday going gonna, back in. Someday I'm going to see that. Yes. Yeah. We'll take you down for a tour. And when they tore it apart, they found out, oh, it's not what we expected. It's not really built according to... They did some shortcuts the original time, and this, is go- this time they won't do the shortcuts. There, there was a discovery made during this restoration. So before anything uh, went on at Mystic Seaport Museum, there was the most thorough evaluation assessment done by maritime surveyors. But as anyone who's opened up a house after having it evaluated for restoration, once you get the walls open, discoveries are going to be made. And Witt said that as they got deeper and deeper into the project, there came a point at which they reached a line. And he said you could see where in 1957 they ran out of money or they ran out of time. And so... It has extended the restoration project by a year and added a million and a half dollars to the expense. But the ship that's returning to Plymouth Plantation will not be the ship that left Plymouth Plantation because what we've done is taken the opportunity to return to Mr. Baker's architectural plans and realize the ship that he wanted. So it's coming back stronger than it was when it crossed the ocean in 1957. What kind of wood do they use? Multiple kinds? Uh, it, it Now it is multiple kinds because of the rarity of the, the forms of wood that are needed. So the wood that's returning to Plymouth next year comes from six states and Denmark. That's how far we had to go to get the proper supplies for the, the restoration. In England, what was happening is they were using English forests for the the oak. And in some places, people were upset about the project. They didn't want to lose the trees. And so the trees were taken down in the middle of the night. Really? And were just suddenly gone. But one of the great things about the restoration is it has brought together two Smithsonian affiliate museums, Plymouth Plantation, Mystic Seaport Museum, And when Mayflower arrived at Mystic, they had just completed the restoration of Charles W. Morgan. So they had just finished one of the most massive restoration projects in the history of the museum. They had all of their expertise of the gathering of supplies for the restoration of Morgan, and they counseled us. They have been superb partners. I can't say enough good things about Mystic Seaport. What's the Charles Morgan, just since you brought it up? Um, Charles W. Morgan is the only surviving wooden whale ship from the 19th century. Wow. At one point, there were 750 wooden whaling ships in the United States, and of them, only the Morgan survives. It was built in 1841 in New Bedford. It is a ship that possibly Melville knew of. Um, and it was a ground in New Bedford on the property of a very wealthy man, and it was degrading on the shoreline. And 
it was decided to move the ship from New Bedford to this new museum, Mystic Seaport, that had been founded in 1929. And in 1941, they moved it from New Bedford to Connecticut. And it is one of those historical miracles. They moved it right before Pearl Harbor. Wow. If it had been moved even just a few days later, it couldn't have gotten upriver because New London had to be netted for American security. Wow. And so the museum has had the, the care of Charles W. Morgan since 41. They did a, a massive multi-year restoration, and it sailed again for the first time just a few years ago. It did its 38th voyage since 1841. Wow. We need to break more with Richard Pickering from Plymouth Plantation. You folks know him. Because, well, you know of him. He's been on a number of times. But a lot of you like to call, and, and, and Richard <laughs> likes to have you call. On the phone, we have Paul, otherwise known as Tank on Sports from WBCN back in the day. Tank is a uh, listener. And Richard, I don't know if you know him, but Tank, meet Richard Pickering. How are you doing? Hi, Tank. Hi, Mr. Pickering. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Hey, hi. hey, Bradley. Hey. hey, this is great. I, wow, you had to go to Denmark for wood. But, you know, and... The plantation's wonderful, but I was wondering if you could tell people also about, like, the uh, the, the Jenny Grist Mill, the uh, Plymouth Memorial Hall in Lydon Street. As a matter, uh, matter of fact, Bradley, a couple of nights ago, was talking about uh, wanting to know how if there was a piece of fabric that was, like, from the 17th century, I think, oh, yeah. or maybe the 16th. But isn't there such, uh, like moccasins or, or things like that in the Plymouth uh, Memorial Hall that date back that far, sir? Uh, Pilgrim Hall Museum uh, has most of the provenanced articles that came over on Mayflower or very early in Plymouth Colony history. And there are things like there is a napkin that's attributed to Richard Warren who came over on Mayflower. Uh, so the, there are surviving pieces of furniture, objects, books that were owned by Mayflower passengers. Uh, the the Plymouth Grist Mill is part of Plymouth Plantation. We've uh, we have been operating the mill now for about five years, and it has become one of the most important suppliers of heirloom and organic uh, meal and samp to restaurants throughout the Northeast. And in fact, I brought some of our, our cornmeal tonight to Bradley as a present uh, with some local honey for his pancakes. So, <laughs> that was basically the first business in America. Yes, it was one of the early industries from the 1630s. And it's recreated right on the, um, the footprint of where the original mill probably was. And wow. we operated as an operating grist mill, uh, grinding all kinds of, of grains. So there are days people can come and see the mill in operation. But it's also uh, one of the ways that we can bring science into history as well and, and look at energy and force and the environment. So every April for the last few years, there have been what we call the Herring Run Festival. And we're involved in the count of the herring that are running on the brooks. And the town of Plymouth actually has been a leader in opening up the old industrial dams so that the fish uh, can get upstream freely uh, to the point where next year 
Plymouth has been named the North American headquarters for the World Immigration Fish Day. So wow. it's, it's a very significant effort that the town of, of Plymouth and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts is doing in opening up the brooks so that the, the herring and the eel can spawn. We actually have um, an eel ladder uh, so that the little baby eels can climb up and then they are carried across the bridge because they can't get themselves across oh. the bridge. And the herring have ladders that they can get up on one side of the, the mill. It's interesting that the mill was one of the reasons for some of the earliest environmental law in New England. Uh, mm -hmm. because the breeding of the fish was not to be interrupted. And we also know of, of little boys getting punished for um, bothering oh. the fish as they were trying to get upstream. <laughs> are any of the, uh, the grinding stones, are, are they original by any chance? No, the grinding stones came from, uh, they're historic, and they are almost 200 years old, but they came from a mill in Pennsylvania. They're not original 17th century mill stones. Wow. Wow. Thanks, thank, and, and thank you very much, Thank sir. you. Thanks, Paul. Take, take care. Take care, Bradley. Take care, Tank. He's a good guy. He listens <laughs> he a lot. He, he's a, he knows lots of stuff. He's, he was a cab driver for a long time. He knows lots of local stuff. So we have a lot to get to, including... Well, we, let's talk about, unless you want to change the order. Can we talk about what's coming up Saturday? Just yep, so sure, can Saturday, yes, that. of course. Um, this coming Saturday and Sunday, we are casting a new bell for Mayflower. When the ship came over from England in 1957, she had a real 17th century bell aboard. It was cast in 1638 by uh, a bell founder named um, Thomas Gray, so completely inappropriate that an original bell be exposed to the weather. So it has been in our collection since coming over in 1957. The bell that we displayed for very long was small and insufficient to represent the bell that would have been aboard Mayflower. So we're casting a new bell on Saturday. The world's only traveling bell foundry, the Verdon founders from Cincinnati, Ohio. They've already arrived at the museum. If, if you come to Plymouth Plantation, you're going to see their trucks already waiting for Saturday to begin. But on Saturday, it's a free event. Um, people can come and participate in the making of this bell because we wanted it to feel owned by the community and by the nation. So people will be able to move the ingots with the founders and move the metal and be part of the whole process of creating this new bell. They have actually invited some veterans who want to put in their um, ribbons, their medals, to be, become part of the bell because the bell represents that union between Great Britain and the United States during the war. At 7 o'clock, it's going to be very dramatic. At 7 o'clock, so just as the sun is setting, all of the molten brass will be poured into the cast, so you'll have the flames against the multicolored sky. It should be beautiful. There'll be food vendors. There'll be family activities, and that, that will be free. When does it break? When do you 
break the cast? The bell needs to cool overnight. It will be broken on Sunday in the morning, and then it will be polished. And in the afternoon, dignitaries will ring the bell for the first time. And then wow. uh, at approximately the same time throughout the town of Plymouth and Manomet, other historic bells will be simultaneously ringing in honor of this new bell. That's a big deal. Yeah. And Saturday night, if people are looking for something fun to do, we're having um, a night of wine and fire so they can leave the the casting. And then it's a special fundraising event for, for people with dancing and music. And, and you guys and have food. it going on over there. You are really, your <laughs> brains are always going. What are you doing, Green Corn Festival? You just have corn? I'm not sure all of the things that go on related to Green Corn <laughs> okay. Festival. <laughs> all right. Because I like corn. Uh, we have a, to get to um, the, let's go to the christening of the Mayflower. Uh, that will be uh, September 7th at Mystic Seaport Museum. And the ship goes back into the water after months in dry dock. I think the ceremony is is going to be beautiful. The The invocation will be done by... Reverend Ann Robinson, who is the executive director of the Massachusetts Bible Society, and Carrie Helm, who is a part of the leadership team at our museum, and she's Mashpee Wampanoag. And they've created this gorgeous, gorgeous meditation on the meaning of water in multiple faith traditions and spiritual traditions. And the host will be Jared Bowen the of Open Studio on WGBH. The keynote will be Nathaniel Philbrick, who wrote In the Heart of the Sea and Mayflower and Valiant Ambition. And the the bottle breaker is going to be Harriet Cross, who is the uh, British consul to New England. And our executive director, Ellie Donovan, had an amazing idea about the whole tradition of breaking the bottle and the champagne. And she said, what if that bottle contained water from every state in the nation, from Holland, where the pilgrims were for 12 years, and from England, where they lived and where they departed. And so the museum has gathered 50 bottles of water, water from a canal where they lived in Leiden, and water from Plymouth Harbor, United Kingdom. And all of those will be combined and then sterilized and then put in the two bottles you know, one is the insurance bottle in uh -huh. case something happens. You wouldn't want to break it. You wouldn't want to break it. But I think the stories have deeply touched us because almost every person who sent us water photographed the source of the water, wrote why he or she picked that particular place and its personal meaning or the meaning in state history. I was on the museum grounds one afternoon when we recreated the wedding of Mary Warren and Robert Bartlett. And it turned out someone heard me say, I was a lousy photographer and we really needed some nice pictures of, of the wedding for some people who couldn't get there because of distance. And a woman said, oh, we just happened to be here, didn't know this wedding was happening. We're here from Arizona. My husband is... Uh, Robert Bartlett, Mary Warren descendant. So he's here at his grandfather's wedding. She said, I'm a photographer. I'd love to send you these photos. And I said, by any chance, would you be willing to send us 
water from Arizona. So that was how we got water from Arizona was this family that just happened to be at the museum at their great, 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 great grandfather's wedding. And I was able to ask them, if we send you a bottle, would you send us some Arizona water back? And they were thrilled to be to be part of that experience. I think the things that you folks come up with are genius. And you, of course, have to get great credit, but I understand. Ellie, is it? Ellie. It's Ellie Donovan. She's, she's, uh, she's, she's the mastermind. A, she is. She's a visionary. We are fortunate uh, that you have someone who is a brilliant business person, an extraordinary historian, and someone who just has a pulse on what the public wants to experience and what will give them a richer experience of the past. And these, the way she brings the community in and, and these moments that have just such poignancy to them they're all her tell me about the bus tour to the pilgrim sites well if anybody wants to see my face after all these years you've been hearing my voice on september 21st we're doing a bus tour to all of the pilgrim and wampanoag sites on the lower cape so i will be one of the tour guides and darius coombs who is our uh, director for Wampanoag and Eastern Woodlands performance research and training. He's Mashpee Wampanoag. He will be the other tour guide and we'll go back and forth and look at the dual perceptions of the landscape and events uh, going down to Provincetown and then working our way back up toward Plymouth. And uh, we've done this before for the staff and uh, are now doing it for our members or anyone who wants to come aboard. You can bring your lunch if you want to. You can get a box lunch from us. But uh, it was one of the my favorite memories with the staff because we wanted to get them out on the ground where events happened. We wanted them to see the seascape because once you're in Provincetown at Pilgrim Monument standing at the top of the tower – you can see how the relationship between the Wampanoag of Cape Cod and the Massachusetts here in where we are in the Boston area was actually stronger than that between Wampanoag people toward Rhode Island because the sea was tying them all together. Oh. So we went to Corn Hill, which is where the English stole corn from yes. native barns. So they know where that is, huh? That's amazing. And what we had done is I was really pleased. I was able to kind of trick my staff in that we're on the bus and I'm counting people and people weren't there. And so we had a couple of sick outs and I said, okay, we just got to go. We can't wait for these people. We got to go. What the staff didn't know is all of those people who quote unquote didn't show up oh. for work were already in a truck heading to Truro and what they were walking into was a recreation of the women washing their laundry ashore. So we pulled in at this beach, and I said to the staff, I, I know it's just another beach, but I really want you to see it because we can talk about the, the seascape and the relationships it builds again. Just come with me around the dune. And I watched my, my guest-facing staff, all of the, the colonial role players, the native staff, walk around in their are wow. these women on the beach? It was it was masterful because no one suspected what they were walking you guys into. Are, I loved it. It must be fun working there. You guys are awesome. There, I have a creative, creative world. You could be part of it, folks. You could join. Yes. There are. What are some of the cool stuff? Well, that, that you get when you join, or or benefits. The one of the benefits, if someone does want to go to the launch at Mystic Seaport next 
next week. Right now, if you're not a member, it's standing room only. Uh, there are a few remaining seats available for members, and you can purchase them instantly as soon as you purchase your membership uh, so that you can get closer and be more comfortable through the 90-minute ceremony. It runs from uh, 2 o'clock until 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. For Mystic Seaport Museum members, the event is free. For Plymouth Plantation members not purchasing seats, uh, there is a reduced admission through uh, uh, an agreement with Mystic Seaport. But if you want a seat, buy a membership. Also, members get first chance to buy Thanksgiving dinner tickets, and those go very, very quickly. Mm, I can smell it now. It's Everybody should... <sighs> have at least one Thanksgiving of their life at Plymouth Plantation. Uh, for me, and you know me on Thanksgiving Day, usually by that night my, my voice out. is gravelly yeah. and I'm burnt out, but it's it's one of the most joyous days to be part of that moment for, on my experience that day, about 1,500 yeah. people. Um, I'm guiding them through dinner while there are other dinners going on at the museum, but to be there and share those moments with people. And I say to the guests, you can speak to each other. The people at the original event could not, except through a few Wampanoag interpreters. But you're dining with strangers. Can you, can I ask you to imitate the very best of the original event and ask that stranger at your table, what is your story? Why are you here? Then we've actually built relationships where people will say, do you want to do Thanksgiving again next year? Really? And they will call and ask, can I be put at this table with this couple That's, or with this family? And can they? They can. And it was two years ago as I was leaving the room, because I'm running between two rooms to, to host these dinners, a woman grabs me by the back of my sport coat and she said, Richard... We're from six different nations at this table, and they each named themselves off and why they were there. You love that. I do. Tell me about, oh, let's break. And <laughs> well, we have to get into this more awesome stuff. The uh, Constitution and the Mayflower, too, are going to sail together. Don't spill the beans on that yet. We'll break, and we'll tell you when that happens. WBZ. JJ Bradley J. JJ Talking J. Jay Talking with Bradley J. WBZ News Radio 1030. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, soldier. Do you know who's in command here? Yeah. We got to talk. Well, when can we talk? Over there is a very capable radio. 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 Get me someone on the other end of that radio. It's Bradley J. You know. Bradley J. J. Talking. You hear him talking on your radio. WBZ News Radio 1030. WBZ, you're Jay talking. And we're live. If you're listening to this by way of the podcast, know that we're live midnight to five. If you're listening live, know that 
you can get the podcast anytime. And there have been a lot of dates and times and events in this segment, things that you may want to get involved with or things that someone you know might want to. Be smart to sign up for the podcast because that way you'll have a record of all the dates and times and events. And if people go to www.plimoth.org and scroll down to the bottom of our homepage, all of the ticketing and event information is right there. You can get right to it. Let's talk to Amanda and Lynn before I before we talk about the the big event with the Constitution and the Mayflower too. Hi, Ma- hi, Amanda. Say hello to Richard. Hey there. Uh, it's great to hear you, and and thank you for sharing the great information about the uh, anniversary. And I love to hear all the stuff that Bradley that you present on the historical things. And I'm interested in the culinary history of our country and the maritime history. So thank you for doing all those great things uh, at down at Plymouth Plantation. I had a question though. Um, is your group, um, and I was also glad to hear that uh, many Native American peoples are being represented in the reenactments and things that you do. Yes. But I'm wondering the, about the, 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 the present day relevance of the sort of the devastation of the Native American peoples, particularly in Massachusetts. And I'm wondering if you and your folks at the museum there are, are familiar with the Upstander Project and their documentary called Dawnland, which which talks about how the uh, Native Americans in Massachusetts and New England have really been continued to be oppressed. And I'm wondering if you all would consider doing some type of education around that in terms of reconciliation, because I hear from what you're talking Actually, about. Actually, you know what? We have limited time, and I know you, I, I appreciate the call, but they are always educating over there uh, concerning the mass, the Native Americans. And so what they're doing is they're, they're teaching by example. And Amanda, uh, uh, I believe we've had a screening of Donland because we have a regular, um, we have an art house independent cinema at the museum in the afternoons awesome. and early evenings. And I believe awesome. Donland has been screened with the, the director producer present. Because native screenings are a regular part with uh, speakers uh, each time. And uh, our museum has one of the oldest indigenous programs in the country. It's about to celebrate its uh, 50th year. um, Awesome. And uh, in 2023, or 40th year. I was an English major, Amanda, so I'm not very good. It was founded in 1973. It was part of the original vision of the museum, but was fully established in 1973. And if you come and visit us, uh, Carrie Helm and Allie and the the Native staff, who are uh, some Wampanoag, some from other Native nations, they, within this last year, the the level of beauty um, and the magnitude of the program, it's its just glorious right now. I'm really so proud of the Native staff and what they've done and the diversification of the site, the spreading of the story throughout the 17th century. They've just done a beautiful job. Thanks, Amanda. Awesome. I'm- uh, I want to ask you now about the... We have only seven more minutes and another <laughs> call. So... The Constitution sales with Mayflower 2, who yeah. thought up that genius thing, and when does that happen? There is, um, 
our board members and other key uh, people here in Boston have created a 501c3 called Mayflower 2020 Becoming America. And it is a short-term nonprofit organization that was created to fund a week of events celebrating Mayflower in the city of Boston. And so the ship will be at the Charlestown Navy Yard. And when she makes her grand entry into Massachusetts here in Boston, she will be greeted by the United States Constitution. That's spectacular. That's insane. That's, the, that's a huge event. The thought of those two ships being together, the stature they hold within American history, uh, what they mean within New England traditions, I think it's... And uh, the ship will be here in the city for a week with all kinds of programming and, and educational activities what's going the, on. What's the size of the difference in the two? Do you happen to know? Um, Mayflower is going to look very, tiny. very tiny yeah. next to the United States Constitution. Like that's, that'll be great to see how tiny Mayflower is. Right, because her um, overall length end-to-end -end is only 106 feet, uh -huh. and she's only 180 ton berth and so the two ships are, are going to be radically different but i think it will be breathtaking to see them together and it's great to have mayflower come to boston for people who would have difficult getting to see it elsewhere exactly barbara in winchester hi we have a very short time oh hi thank you i'm so interested in what you're saying as as you're talking i'm looking through the new edition of yankee magazine september and there's an article in 117 they interview Whit Perry, yeah. who is instrumental in um, putting the ship together. Yes, and so Whit, I just want Whit is a gift. Whit is <laughs> one of the great treasures of our life, and without him, uh, this project would not have been possible. His level of expertise and career and the relationship that he's built with Quentin Snedeker, who oversees the historic shipyard at Mystic Seaport, those two men and their crews have been stunning. And what touches me deeply is that both of those men want to transfer their skills to younger people. And you can see their level of satisfaction at putting artisans with decades of skill with young men and women at the start of their careers as artisans and the joy that they take. Um, it's And I understand that feeling. I'm 58, soon to be 59, and I look at the young people all around me and my job is to hand off this child that we've been entrusted with. I have a baby that is not mine to hold for a little while, and I need to raise up those next generation of young men and women that I can say, take it, it's your turn to hold it and bring it on. Thanks. Well, I think you're doing a marvelous job. You <laughs> really you. are. And we have to thank Bradley J. for having you on as a guest and so one, so many wonderful people he has. We're learning so much from his thank him being you. on the air. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Barbara. Bye. Two minutes left. Great to remind people this is the perfect time to get your tickets for Thanksgiving. And you guys are so great because you can get all your Christmas shopping done there. It's tough to find original cool stuff when you're shopping for Christmas gifts. And you have it. Yeah. Tell me, tell us a couple of things that are, are cool. Well, the since we have a craft center, there are objects that are produced at Plymouth Plantation. Beautiful pottery, some textiles, things that you can't get elsewhere. And the wonderful thing is you're not at a mall. Right. So you're in this beautiful building 
in three shops where you're well treated, your questions are answered. It's just, it's a beautiful place to shop. And again, this is Ellie. Um, and coming out of her business background, she created, unlike other museums where you go and every shop is identical, she and her team have created shops where each one has its own character as a children's shop, a native shop, a colonial or a craft center shop, and each one of these has its own uh, quality. So it's a constant discovery when you're shopping at Plymouth Plantation. Richard, thank you. And I want to thank uh, Ellie Donovan and Marty Mugar and all the fiduciary trustees and the advisors because you guys are all geniuses. <laughs> thank you, Brad. You are. Thank you. Okay. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.